We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Some more John Chuckery. We've heard so much about you. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you, John Chuckery Show. Halfway home on a Wednesday evening. Hey, maybe the dog days is summer, but this is when the baseball standings uh, will separate the contenders from the pretenders. Check out Odyssey's Big Time Baseball podcast with Cody Decker, Tony Gwynn Jr., and MLB insider John Heyman. They'll cover all things around MLB. Free and available on the Odyssey app, wherever you get your podcasts, and episodes drop every Monday. 404-741-0929, Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. At 929 The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. At JMCH316 on the Twitter machine. He's at underscore Dylan Matthews. And um, uh, we will get to Grant McCulley coming up here in about 20 minutes uh, from right now. We'll talk some Braves baseball with him as uh, Braves took it on the chin today. They lose to the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. Um, Look, Charlie Martin was outstanding uh, today. Maybe just a little bit better with Zach Wheeler, although he gave up a run. Charlie didn't. Bullpen let the Braves down uh, today. So they split. Now they get ready for five with the New York Mets and what should be a very, very fun series. This will be very interesting and obviously going to dis- you know help start deciding a lot of things about the, about the NL East um, this coming year. Um, obviously, we got word late last night, and this was after – um, this was after um, we left out of here on the show last night, but Vin Scully passed away last night. Nine, what do we say? Ninety-four years old for Vin Scully. You know the funny thing. Here's the funny thing about it, Dylan. The first time I remember Vin Scully, and I knew he was a broadcaster for the Dodgers and all that growing up, but the first time I heard Vin Scully of any sort of prominence was when he was doing golf in the late '70s and early '80s on CBS. He was one of the golf broadcasters. You know how they have a thousand guys doing oh, yeah. a, a golf, you know, golf event, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's at a different hole in this and the other. That was the first time I started hearing Vin Scully. And then in '83, he goes to NBC for the NBC baseball game of the week, and it's Vin Scully and Joe Garagiola. And that's where I heard Vin Scully. Like every Saturday, we watched, you know, the Major League Game of the Week because that was your really one of your very few chances. To see a lot of there was no interleague play, there wasn't ESPN that was broadcasting Major League Baseball. So you know, yeah, watching the Indians, I'd see you know when the Indians would play the California Angels or Oakland A's, but you almost never saw the Houston Astros or whatever you know the Dodgers or the Reds or you know you rarely ever saw those teams until 
they came along on the national game of the week, and Vince Scully was the voice of of all of that. Um, Scully also, too, did NFL football. He was a radio guy, did games with Hank Stram. Let me let you listen to the Dwight Clark catch in the NFC Championship game in 82. See a pick of some kind on the right side, possibly. That's Montana. Hank Stram, by the way, former Kansas City Chiefs Looking, coach. looking, throwing in the end zone. Clark Clark. Um, on the TV broadcast, I believe that was Summerall and Madden that had the TV. That's the radio. Hank Stram was a legendary coach for Kansas City Chiefs. I think he's in the Hall of Fame uh, himself. So, you know, he did a lot of different things. Baseball, football, golf, obviously. Now, one of his more famous calls is obviously when the Braves and Dodgers played um, here in Atlanta. Scully was on the call for Aaron's 715th home run. Here's the call on that. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fans. It is gone. Marvelous moment for baseball. What a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron, who was met at home plate not only by every member of the Braves, but by his father and mother. He threw his arms around his father, and as he left the home plate area, his mother came running across the grass, threw her arms around his neck, kissed him for all she was worth. What What's fascinating about some of that call, he mentions Bill Buckner. Of course, he would call the 86 World Series where the ball went underneath Buckner's legs. So Buckner playing outfield for the Dodgers. That's because Steve Garvey was playing first base for them. Al Downing, of course, surrendered the home run to Hank Aaron, 715. But obviously we all are familiar with the video of that, right? I mean, the, 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 the broadcast of it. You see the guys running around the bases with him, everybody greeting Hank Aaron at home plate and all this, that, and the other. Um, I think, was it Craig Sager, I think, that actually interviewed him at home plate for the TV or something like that? I think Craig Sager was, was there and I think interviewed him. Tom House, of course, Caught the ball out in left field. He was he was a relief pitcher for the Braves at that time. Tom House was going to be a pitching coach. Uh, actually, he worked with quarterbacks, too. He worked with Matt Ryan and other quarterbacks at a throwing camp that he had, I think, out in California, I think is where when Matt used to go out there and all that kind of stuff. But Tom House caught the ball. But, you know, obviously Scully there for that because calling the Dodger games and stuff like that and, and part of history there. I remember him, especially in my youth, from, from two things. One is the 86 World Series where this is game six, and this is what people forget is the ball going through Buckner's legs did not win the World Series for the Mets. That was game six. They had to come back the next night and win game seven. That's how they won the World Series. But here's Scully's call when Mookie hits the little dribbler down first and it goes through Buckner's legs. Little roller up along first. Behind the back. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. 
the former Mr. Nancy Lopez, Ray Knight, who was playing third base. There were so many crazy things about that game six. Bob Stanley's wild pitch, Calvin Schiraldi, and the stuff that he did. I mean, just there were so many wild moments about that game. I remember that game was a Saturday night, man. That that was wild. I was at my grandparents' place watching it. And also, I remember being at my grandparents' house on a Saturday night for 1988, game one of the 88 World Series. Canseco homered to dead center for hit a grand slam to dead center in in uh, in LA. They got up four nothing early. I think that was in the second inning that he hit the grand slam. They got up. The Dodgers chipped away. Gibson could barely walk. Gibson was the MVP of the league that year, National League MVP of the league in '88. He only had go look at his numbers. He only had like 23 homers and 76 RBI and hit about 275. But he was so clutch and so money for the Dodgers. And of course, Hershiser had the what was it? He he beat Don Drysdale's record. He had like 58 or 59 scoreless innings in a row that he pitched. Remember, he set that record in '88. And you talk about one of the great upsets in baseball history. That was the Dodgers beating the Mets in the NLCS that year. That's one of the great upsets in baseball history. But I remember this game. Game one, 88 World Series, Oakland and the Dodgers. They bring Gibson up to pinch hit. Mike Davis is on first. He would steal second. And the game was 4-3 to three at that point with Davis on at second. Gibson, when I tell you, he could barely walk let alone run. He did not play. He came in to pinch hit, was the MVP of the league that year. This is Scully with that famous call. Game right now is at the plate. High fly ball into right field. She is gone. In a year that has been so Eckersley was virtually unhittable that year. I think he had 45 or 46 saves that year. I mean, he was dominant. I'll tell you what's even better than that call. Go listen. Joe Buck had the famous radio call of that, and that's the one where he goes, I can't believe what I just saw. Everybody's probably heard that clip as well. That was Joe Buck on the radio broadcast of that because Vin Scully was doing with Joe Garagiola. They were doing the TV broadcast on NBC. And it's funny. I think people don't realize the World Series – you know, it, I, we're all used to being on Fox now, right? But the World Series used to be on NBC. The World Series used to be on ABC. And the World Series was on CBS, right? The the um, um, the 91 World Series is Jack Buck and, and Tim McCarver, right? Calling that on CBS, right? They had the call for the Braves and Twins in, ni- in uh, 91, right? That was a CBS World Series. But that 88 World Series, you know, was was just crazy. The the how the Dodgers beat both the Mets and the Oakland A's in all of that is is just unbelievable. There will never be another Vince Scully. You will never have anybody that can be that kind of voice. And if you think about how many of those voices we're losing and think about how many guys in the college football world cuz to me the college football world is the last sort of regional or local place you can get voices to. Like I don't consider Joe Buck on Fox when he calls everything, you know, those are national guys nowadays. Vin was obviously local, L.A., brought out to national, but even doing national stuff, you know, he was the man. I mean, 
You'll never get those voices again in sports broadcasting. And I'm not taking a shot at Joe Buck or anything like that. You know, he is what he is, and, and I think he does a good job on some things. You know, I'm not the biggest fan of Joe Buck and things like that, but again, it's a different world that we live in with TV and national broadcasts of sports and all of these different things nowadays, right? You don't get as much of that local flair. That's why thinking back to Pete Van Weeren and Skip and, you know, Don and Joe and all those guys, like those are such great memories to listen to those voices. You're never going to replicate that. You're never going to get those guys again, those those kinds of guys with that folksy kind of tone, that old school mentality, right? And 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 covering, you know, the sport more locally. Things are much more national now. You know, even Chip, I mean, Chip did Cubs games and then, you know, here with Atlanta and stuff like that. I mean, he's a national kind of guy, right? I think I think he gets identified a lot when not just being a local guy, but more national. You know, even Jeff Francoeur now doing stuff for TBS and and all that kind of stuff. It's just there aren't very many of those local voices anymore to call your team. And if you're of a certain age, everybody can name the guy who called their games for their home team. Obviously, you know, we just talked here about Skip and Pete and, you know, Don and, and Joe, you know, calling the games for the radio and TV for all those years and everything like that. Uh, I remember Ernie Johnson Sr. calling games, right, with Skip. I mean, those Skip, Pete, and Ernie Sr., you know, we know Ernie Johnson Jr. on TNT, right, for the NBA, but his dad, who was a pitcher for the Braves for that 57 World Series team, he called games with, with Skip and Pete. Those are some of the funniest things when they'd have those blowouts and stuff. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk to our buddy Grant McCulley, uh, his thoughts about what the Braves did at the deadline in this series with the Mets. It's all next. Trucker in the Key Studios, Sports Right Down to the Game, Odyssey.com app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. Back with you the John Chuckery Show, live in the Key Studios, Wednesday night with you. 404-741-0929 is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Hey, Kenny Maine's joined the Odyssey family with his new podcast, Hey Maine. Each week, Kenny's going to be talking to athletes, musicians, celebrities, just about anybody else. Coming up today, actually, uh, no, tomorrow, excuse me, Thursday, coming up tomorrow, Jamel Hill will join uh, Kenny Maine for a discussion. Download the Hey Maine uh, for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast from. Well, uh, oh, also, too, you can listen to every Hawks game along with all the music and news and land needs right here on the Odyssey app. Braves uh, took it on the chin uh, today. Charlie Morton was really good today. Uh, dare I say almost outstanding uh, today. Um, did not give up a run in six and two-thirds innings. Eight strikeouts with 101 pitches, unfortunately, did not factor in to the decision. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline, Atlanta's Ford dealer. 
Let's talk to our man in the know. He covers all things Atlanta Braves for us and MLB here on 92.9 The Game. Grant McCulley joining us. Follow him on Twitter at Grant McCulley. And as always, my friend, appreciate uh, a few minutes here this evening. Yeah, no, excited to finally find the time for us to, you know, be back together talking about the Braves, the baseball, and maybe whatever else you're going to throw in the way. I'm ready for it. Well, let's uh, let's first ask you, what do you think of SummerSlam? Well, SummerSlam, I think, gives us the opportunity to perhaps see a whole new chapter in sports entertainment because I think it's been exhausting to try to watch it the past few years. It's been very stale. So I'm excited to see a new creative direction. I feel like a wrestling show with a lot of wrestling on it is what I tune in for when I want to watch wrestling. And it seems like maybe WWE is going to do a little bit more of that and kind of sprinkle the entertainment in as they go. So I'm excited. Yeah, I joked the other day on Twitter, uh, Triple H is going to mess around and, and make it fun to watch it again. Uh, what's going <laughs> to <Exactly. laughs> end up happening. Um, let's talk about Charlie Morton. You know, you and I have kind of gone, you know, talked about him a good bit. And it, it's it seemed like we got things kind of figured out. And then I would say, what, maybe the last four or five starts, it's been kind of one really good start, one maybe not so good start. You feel pretty good about where he's at now, or are we still kind of looking for that kind of Charlie Morton that we're used to seeing and, and feel like that we can hand him the ball in any situation and we know what we're going to get with him? Yeah, I hope so. I mean, every time I see one of these starts, it makes me feel like, all right, it's there. You know, this is a guy that can throw six or seven innings, who can strike out seven to ten guys and limit the offense of the opposition and allow the Braves bats to go to work. And I think he held up his end of the bargain today against the Phillies. But, you know, the, the real problem, I think, has been, you know, he hasn't been able to get away, far enough away from some of the clunkers that have also been mixed in, even as he's pitched better and better, I think, over the last month and a half. And some of his better performances have come against some offenses that weren't necessarily among the National League or the Major League's best. And then others, you just you kind of look at them and you're like, all right, well, I don't see anything that leads me to believe that Charlie Morton's not back. And then a start like that against the Mets. And they had a rough one against the Phillies you know, prior to the good one that he threw against them today. So it just kind of depends, you know, start to start. But you don't want to be saying, well, is this guy back? Well, it depends on who he's facing. I, I think that, you know, more than anything, I feel like he's tweaked his arsenal a bit and thrown a lot more and, and been a lot more aggressive in the strike zone. And that's allowed him and that curveball to become more of a weapon. I feel like there was a time in May especially where it was just – it was difficult to watch because you knew he was searching for it. You don't want to be out there 60 feet, six inches away from big league hitters searching for the answers as a big league pitcher. Our Braves insider Grant McCauley joining me here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Braves, of course, took it on the chin today. Three to one. Now we get ready for this exciting series against the Mets. Uh, you know, Grant, you look at some of these pitching matchups, you know, over this five-game set, going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Freed and Scherzer, I mean, that's that's a, you know, that's a game mm-hmm. one of any playoff series. Uh, DeGrom, obviously, and Strider. Um, I want to ask you about one of the new acquisitions, Odorizzi, who's going to pitch, you know, one of the doubleheader games. What do you think his role as a starter for them? I like the acquisition. What do you think, mm-hmm. though, they're going to – how how and when, I guess, are they going to use him? I mean, you know, obviously the, the schedule's a little bit weird this year, but how do you think yeah. he gets the most use? That's going to be an interesting, I guess, overall plan that could be a bit of a fluid situation. And, you know, the first couple of weeks that he's going to be here, it comes at a good time because the Braves do have that doubleheader, and he will get one of those starts on Saturday. And then the Braves have another doubleheader on that road trip, which is 11 total games thanks to doubleheaders in New York and in Miami. So for the next couple of weeks, 
you'll have him mixed into this starting rotation as kind of the sixth man. And beyond that, it's going to be kind of, I think, a a common sense approach, I think is what Brian Snickers called it, to trying to manage people's innings and give them a day if they need to. But, you know, this is a group of major league starter, a guy who's having a pretty fair season. I mean, the strikeouts are a little bit down for him, but otherwise, I mean, he's been, by and large, you know, a, a guy that can go out there and at least give you the quality five or six innings that you need. He's coming off a great start against the Mariners last time out and, you know, be able to be a contributor. But I think the biggest thing, especially about these trade deadline acquisitions and the way that Alex Anthopoulos operates is you just want to be able to have more depth because plans can change. As I talked about with Dukes and Bell, you know, the Braves got to the World Series and one of their best starting pitchers literally broke his leg to start the series. And that's not the way that you want things to go. And I'm not saying that anybody's going to suffer a broken leg anytime soon and, and, you know, knock on wood for that, but injuries can and will change plans. And that's why it's good to have another starter in the mix and we'll see exactly how they use them. But I don't expect this to be something that means or is any kind of indication that Spencer Strider is now going to move to the bullpen. I just don't see that as something that the Braves are entertaining. Grant McCulley joining us here on the waitfor.com hotline of Braves insiders. Braves uh, lose today. Three to one to the Phillies, and now get ready to take on the New York Mets. I like the Iglesias trade. Um, obviously, I would think Grant three years and forty-eight million dollars owed to him that he is your closer starting next year. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the way that looks. I feel like it's you know having some cost certainty is something that Alex Anthopoulos has done by creating these long-term contracts or getting these long-term contracts signed with Matt Wilson and with Austin Riley. Of course, you already had, excuse me, Ozzy Albies and uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. signed to these. You probably still need to figure out what you're going to do with that Marcelo Zuna contract. If he's not going to be hitting, that's clearly an area that he can, you know, take another look at. But from a purely payroll standpoint, the Braves have been rising in recent years. And so to bring on a closer on a big money contract and a guy that has proved year over year to be a pretty good major league closer. You know, that's a move that can make him good down the stretch to strengthen this bullpen and really give you some clarity about who the guy is going to be over the next few years if the contract works out. So, you know, it's a risk worth taking, I'll say that. And as the Braves have gone into making some of these moves and having the ability to be able to take on some payroll, that's a pretty good indicator that you got a winning club and a club that it continues to, you know, be able to be a, a profitable entity and they're going to keep investing in the players. And that's a good way to, you know, I, I think to build this roster and to be able to make these moves is to be able to take on a contract like that and plug him in. And the most important thing is you got a right-hander that can strike out about 12 batters per nine, doesn't walk very many, doesn't give up many hits. You can pair him with Kinley Jansen and some of those other high-leverage arms. And that, of course, is the number one reason you go out and get Rysel Iglesias. You know, Grant, I brought this up earlier, I, and I'm a little bit older than you. I'm not quite freaky dead ball era old, but I'm a little bit older than than you are. Um you know, I said earlier that, you know, when I think back and, and what Spencer Strider's done, and, and I made the proclamation, I think he's going to win the rookie of the year. I think he's going to beat out Michael Harris, and he's going to win the rookie of the year. But you look at what he's done. I, mm-hmm. I remember Fernando Valenzuela and Dwight Gooden in their rookie years and, and how dominant those guys were. To me, Spencer Strider is every bit as dominant as anybody I've seen in their rookie year in the big leagues. And it's crazy to think that two years ago – this kid was pitching for Clemson. Not not like Clemson, a, a semi-pro league or something like that. The college, Clemson, the university, yeah. Clemson. I mean, it's crazy what he's done. And to be able to just, you know, again, Alex Anthopoulos said on Dukes and Bell today, there's no innings limit or anything like that. It's just phenomenal what this kid has been able to do. 133 strikeouts in 87 innings. It's ridiculous. 
Yeah, no, it's absurd. I think Doc Gooden is a really interesting comparison to make. And I would say of the two, it, it's more of the Doc Gooden level than the Fernando Valenzuela level because, man, Fernando's first, what, 10 or 12 starts was just bonkers. I yeah. mean, this guy was out there throwing complete games and shutouts right yeah. and left. Yeah, eight, eight shutouts like his one. rookie year. Eight shutouts his rookie year. I mean, it, it's, it's absurd. It felt like it, it's Fernando Mania Fernando Mania for a reason. This guy came up and did stuff that nobody had seen in a long time and certainly hadn't seen it out of a rookie. But, you know, for Spencer Strider and for what the Braves have gotten out of him, he has created that same kind of, I think, excitement about what he is capable of doing. And I, I do like that Doc Gooden um, comparison quite a bit because, you know, when Doc came up, it was just strikeout left and right and left and right. And for Spencer Strider, we saw it again over the weekend, you know, more, or excuse me, we saw it again on uh, on. Tuesday in the first game against the Phillies, he just continues to pile up strikeouts at the highest rate of any starting pitcher in the majors. He's pretty much in line with any high leverage reliever that you can find strikes out a lot of batters. Spencer Strider is just flat out that guy. And so that's been impressive. And I'm glad to hear that the innings limit is not something that they're being concerned about here in the month of August. And, you know, Spencer Strider even said this after his start. I thought it was great. He was real candid. He's like, hey, I appreciate everybody's concern about my physical well-being, but I'm fine. And I want to go out there and pitch every fifth day. And I love that. Grant, correct me on anything I say here if it's wrong, but it sounds like Ozzy's kind of out of his working boot. He was doing some work in a swimming pool and things like that. Um, it doesn't sound like we have any real timetable for when he's going to mm-hmm. be back. Maybe update us on on what you're hearing, what you think might happen, you know, kind of where we're at with Ozzy Albies here. Yeah, for me, it was really sound. It was going to be either the very end of August or early September for Ozzy, just because, you know, he was still in a boot the last time that I had gotten an update on him. So, you know, the fact that he's able to get out of that and to start doing some mobility exercises, strengthening exercises, and hopefully the next step, of course, is some baseball activities. But, you know, when you have your foot in the boot for as long as he did or immobilized for as long as he did, you know, you're going to have to to work it back and to the place where you're able to run again, where you're able to really count on that foot to do all the things it's supposed to do. And this was a freak, bizarre, weird injury for him. So I'm sure that they're going to take him through all the paces, both literally and figuratively, and for the pun of it, you know, to make sure that he's good to go and they give him the adequate amount of time. Uh, And that's why I think you, you know, you go out and you get another infielder to help you out. The Robinson Cano thing did not work, but, you know, maybe Adrian's is able to be a little bit of a Band-Aid on the situation and Arcia can continue to play as as well as he has over the past, you know, month, month and a half. But, you know, having Ozzy Albies back will be a huge boost for this club. But, yeah, it's not going to be happening in the near future, but hopefully by the time you roll around into early September, you have him for that stretch drive because he is, as we know, a difference maker for the energy level that he brings and also the performance that he puts out on the field and hopefully he gets a chance to kind of turn around what had been a slow start to a season for him and come in and play when the games mean the most last thing for you grant do you feel like with what they did at this trade deadline and do we still have in this new baseball world do we still have a a waivers trade deadline where no. okay that's no. all gone now we, it's we, gone okay yeah. all right so do you feel like the braves plugged any holes that they may have do you feel like that they're in pretty good shape now, and not that they really needed to fix much of anything, but do you feel like they addressed what everything that they needed to address the deadline? I really do. I mean, if you had a checklist, and I know that we talked about it uh, here, we talked about it on Locked On Sports Atlanta, I talked about it with pretty much every show on the station. Hey, what do the Braves need? I said, well, 
I think they should look to find some starting pitching depth, maybe a veteran that they could plug in back in the rotation type. Check. They did that. You lose Adam Duvall. Hey, you got to go out and get somebody to maybe platoon with Eddie Rosario that can handle lefties. Check. You got Robbie Grossman. That takes care of that. You went out and got Adrianza because the flyer you took on Robinson Cano turned out to not work. And then you're able to swing a trade for a reliever, which I said, I think they need another righty reliever, particularly a guy that can miss a lot of bats to pair with Kenley Jansen and kind of balance things out with all the lefties they've got in the bullpen. And boom, they were able to get that done as a buzzer beater trade at the deadline. So if you ask me what kind of pieces that they needed, and they didn't need to go make a big, splashy, huge blockbuster trade and empty out the entire farm. I mean, I'd love to have Juan Soto as much as the next guy, but that was going to be an expensive trade. In fact, it was. But I do think that they answered all of their needs, and they addressed the areas of depth that they need. And you brought up an interesting point with no waiver trade deadline available to you. And this is what Alex Anthopoulos did last year by getting Eddie Rosario. He thought, if we do need one more piece, one more bat, one more guy to add to the mix, we'll go ahead and trade for Eddie. He's injured. He's not going to be back for weeks. But we'll go ahead and have him so that when he does come back, we've got more depth than we know what to do with. And as it turned out, that guy won the National League Championship Series MVP and helped the Braves win the World Series. So maybe one of these pieces ends up being that kind of contributor that just comes up with that unsung hero moment, and legends are born in October, so we'll see if some of these guys are able to etch their name in that ledger because you know the Braves have eyes on getting back to October, getting back to the World Series, and winning the whole thing all over again. Huh. I, I swear I think I've heard of that locked on thing before. But anyway, um, yeah, follow him on Twitter. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty good. Follow him on Twitter, at Grant McCulley. Of course, he is our Braves insider. Joined us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Grant, tell them where they can uh, listen to you next. Yeah, definitely check us out from the Diamond on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game on Sundays 5 to 7. You can find the podcast wherever you get your podcast, also on the Odyssey app. And you can follow me on Twitter, as John said, at Grant McCauley's, where you can find me pretty much everywhere. And I got links for all the things I'll be doing. So appreciate the time, John, as always. Enjoy talking with you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it, man. Yes, and always download that Odyssey app because that's how we like to get you live and local uh, all the time. So good stuff, as always, uh, from Grant. All right, when we get back, Joe Patrick joined us earlier in the show talking some Falcons and some training camp with him, what he had to say. A couple of very interesting comments. If you didn't get a chance to hear this earlier, he had a couple of very interesting things to say about Jalen Mayfield and where this offensive line is. It's all next. Chuck Green, the Key Studios, Sports Right Now, Time the Game, and the Odyssey.com app. Back to more John Chuckery. No, 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 I'm having a good time. Having a good time. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Sports Radio 92.9, the game. It is John Chuckery Show live on a Wednesday with you here as Falcons continue their training camp and we get ready for the Hall of Fame game coming up tomorrow evening, and Falcons will be starting their preseason here rather soon. Let's uh, talk a little Falcons football and see what uh, things are looking like out at camp. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. He's covering the Atlanta Falcons for us this year for 92.9 The Game. Our buddy Joe Patrick is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at JAPatrick200. As always, Joe, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for spending a few minutes with me. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It's been, uh, it's been fun. You know, football's back. We were here in the pads and all that. And you just mentioned the Hall of Fame game being tomorrow, man. It's crazy. It's like it feels like it's just come up on us so quick, but it's really exciting. Yeah, let's ask you about um, the other day uh, I brought this up. I guess it was yesterday maybe, um, you know, in some of the one-on-one drills. Um, Jalen Mayfield kind of had his hands full at times and, and maybe struggled a little bit. You know, I know obviously there's competition on 60% of this offensive line. 
I'm of the belief they're not going to run it back with all three guys from last year, Mayfield, Hennessy, and McGarry. I don't think all three of those guys are going to start again. What's been your observations or your thoughts about watching some of the matchups those guys have been involved in, some of the one-on-ones, things like that? You know, what's kind of your takeaway so far, these offensive line battles? Yeah, it's interesting that you bring this up, Chuck, because this is something that I wrote about today in my notebook today. You know, Jalen Mayfield, frankly, has lost his position as the team starter at left guard. Like, that, it, it's that simple. Uh, you know, you won't get that simple of an answer from Arthur Smith. You know, you'll get a lot of, um, you know, still competing and, you know, guys have chances to win their jobs, et cetera. You know, and I'm not saying that any job really is set in stone right now, but if the Falcons were to go out and play a competitive game right now, I guarantee you Jalen Mayfield would not be in the starting offensive line. He hasn't been with the starting group since the first day of practice. And every practice since has been Elijah Wilkinson in that role. And I think that's a credit to Wilkinson, but also I think it's just a little bit concerning for Mayfield. And, and you know, honestly, when you watch him, it's he's doing exactly what you can't do. If you're trying to win that job, he's committing, he's committed penalties so far in training camp. He's been beaten pretty badly, to be perfectly honest. I, some guys who are not even kind of thought of as being guys who are um, some of the hotter prospects along the defensive line. I think it was Derek Tangelo beat him pretty bad yesterday. He got beat again today that I saw one time. So it's it's been a little bit of a rough go for Jalen Mayfield, and I, I certainly think he's got some work to do. Honestly, this might be crazy, but, like, I think even just to, to make this team. Like, I, I don't know if he's going to be a guy that look at long term and think that he's going to all of a sudden turn things around, especially if he can't protect the passer at all. Um, but outside of that, Arthur just said today that, you know, he he likes the way 98% of the offensive line is playing right now. I have to think that Jalen Mayfield's on the wrong side of that equation, but you know, on the positive side, a guy like Caleb McGarry, who I was clearly in, in, a comp, in an open competition, still is, um, he has kept his starting role at right tackle in the starting unit the entire training camp. I think that's a really good thing. And even Arthur kind of credited him today for giving good looks to some of these young, talented edge rushers that the Falcons brought in the draft and Arnold Lepicati and D'Angelo Malone. So he's done a really good job in pass protection. We know he's a good run blocker. If he can keep that up, then I think he's going to win that job, but I still think things are open. And, you know, to kind of go back to left guard, Oh, well, let me just, you know, at center, it's really hard to tell. I think that one's still neck and neck, though. Hennessy and Drew Dahlman are just alternating every single day. So we have no, there's no real advantage to be gathered there yet. I will say, though, at left guard, to kind of go back to the Jalen Mayfield discussion with Elijah Wilkinson having taken over that role, I'm not so sure if the Falcons are, like, in love with Elijah Wilkinson in that role either. I wouldn't rule out them, you know, picking up somebody that gets cut from, from a team that potentially help fill a role if they need to. I think, it, honestly, at that position, it's more been about Jalen Mayfield's struggles. Yeah, and I was going to ask you about that, Joe, because we've seen them. They've been working out, you know, some safety, some corners, linebacker, but I really haven't heard much about them working out any really offensive or defensive linemen just yet, and and, and they've got money. Um have you heard anything about if they worked out any guys that are line of scrimmage players? I mean, seems like it's all been defensive backs or linebackers so far. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I haven't heard anything, though I do feel like they should probably bring in a defensive lineman at some point. Uh, they lost Vincent Taylor to a season-ending ruptured Achilles 
on uh, what was that Monday's practice. So um, you know that makes sense in a number because they no longer have Taylor, they no longer have Eddie Goldman who retired of just ahead of the training camp. So they were already a little bit thin there. Uh, Arthur Smith has said that he actually the, the, the kind of saving grace for them on the defensive line is that they are getting really good performances so far out of a lot of guys, especially down lower, a little lower down the down the depth chart. Guys like Derek Tangelo, guys like uh, Jalen Dalton, who was actually involved in that scuffle that happened on Sunday. Both, both those guys, I think, have impressed the Falcons coaching staff. So there is some good competition on that defensive line, but I certainly do think that they uh, could bring in somebody and. When uh, when Arthur Smith announced the fact that Vincent Taylor was going to be out for the year, he did say that there has not been, yet been a corresponding move. Uh, but I do think that the Falcons will likely bring somebody in. We've already seen them bring in uh, it was a Henry Black uh, safety already. So I think we'll see some more of that for them to tweak this roster as they kind of start to get a for who's going to be with and and who they prepare to cut. And they could do that early if they want to get a guy in who they think could help could help them. Falcons reporter Joe Patrick joining us here in the WaitFor.com hotline. The other uh, position that I've been very curious about through training camp, inside linebacker. Obviously, Deion Jones working off of the side. I know he's on the pup list and and all that. It's kind of odd watching him work out at times over on the side and things like that. But what's been kind of your takeaway about Evans, Kiewitkowski, uh, Michael Walker, I mean, that group of guys that are inside linebackers? What What have you kind of thought about that group so far? Yeah, to me, I was expecting a lot of competition here. And, and really, to me, it seems like it's pretty settled in terms of it being – it's going to be you – know, Sean Evans, I think, is going to be kind of the captain of this defense. I think he's going to be that middle linebacker that wears the green dot. He's done that before in his career. Uh, and I think that Arthur Smith has a lot of faith in him. Uh, so I certainly expect him to be one of those inside linebackers. And then I think Michael Walker is going to be the other one. He's been getting – uh, most of the first-team reps, and most if not all of the first-team reps. I mean, Nick Kwiatkowski has gotten in there at times. I think he will probably play in some nickel packages and some, um, you know, some, some certain sub packages. But I, I think that they like Michael Walker. I, think, I certainly think they want Michael Walker to kind of win that job as a young guy, young linebacker, uh, who they think has a lot of potential. I think that that's what you're looking at. I think one of the other interesting names here at the inside linebacker spot is uh, that getting that rookie Troy Anderson, who was one of the most athletic linebackers in the entire draft coming out of little Montana State. Um, you know, I think that it's going to be a little bit more of a, a, an easing in period for him. I would not be surprised to see his season this year kind of be reminiscent to what the Falcons, how the Falcons used Richie Grant last year, which was to ease him in very slowly. And obviously that kind of, you know, irked a lot of fans who wanted to see these guys. And certainly I think there's a certain expectation for seeing rookies when you when you invest such you know draft capital in them. But I think we also all know that Troy Anderson, in particular, is coming from a very unique uh, kind of circumstance where he was at this very small school, and he's also obviously played all these different positions, including quarterback in his career. So he's still kind of getting a feel for what it's going to take at that position at the NFL level. But I certainly do think that he has the physical you know, skill set to be able to, to be an important player for this team longer term. And maybe that's just towards the end of the season. I think that right now we're looking at Rashawn Evans and Michael Walker as the most likely pairing to, to start uh, at inside linebacker for this team come week one. Well, have no fear, Joe, because I've been prepping fans that Troy Anderson probably won't start right away. So, uh, again, I've been ahead of uh, all that. I think I think Anderson's going to make his name on special teams early on. Um, yeah, he's a great, perfect special teams player. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I agree with you. I I, I didn't I, I I thought they would ease him in as well, and I thought special teams. Now let's talk about that for a second. 
we pretty much feeling like Patterson, you know, I know he's kind of joked, but he's also serious you know, about running kicks back. And, you know, Avery Williams kind of handling punt return duty. Patterson handling kickoff return duty. You think that's what that's going to end up looking like when we get to the first game of the season? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, I, I you know, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that this team would like to see Avery Williams just kind of handle it all, handle all the returning duties. But obviously, Cordero Patterson kind of wants those kick returns because he wants to set the NFL you know, career record uh, and more power to him. And I think, you know, honestly, the Falcons staff is probably thinking, you know what? We have, uh, you know, a, a good running back room right now, so uh, we can kind of afford to lose him on some downs. We need the down off after he takes a kick return back. Uh, and also, you know, if he's motivated to do that job, then they probably feel like he's going to do a good job of it. And you know that his track record and his career holds up as well as anybody could. So I would suspect that he is going to be the guy that does the kick returning uh, and that Avery Williams, I do think that Avery Williams is going to be the guy uh, who does handle the punts. And if Cordero Patterson happens to run back a kick, like in, in the first few weeks of the season, I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see them transition Avery Williams to that role as well. Because I feel like they, that's obviously where, you know, his biggest strength lies. Uh, the interesting thing for Avery Williams is just, you know, and th- what the Falcons coaching staff is going to have to figure out is, you know, how do you kind of incorporate him in, with all these other running backs? that they've got because Damian Williams has also been a guy who they talk about all the time uh, as a guy who's really been impressed in camp so far. And then, of course, you have the rookie, Tyler Algier, who I think that, uh, you know, they have a lot of high hopes for. He certainly has the body type who's kind of that guy who can carry the rock on first and down. Um, So it's going to be a very interesting situation to see how they handle all these different players. Uh, But they all obviously have their, their, their skill sets that they bring to the table. Falcons reporter for 92.9 The Game, Joe Patrick, joining us the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk about the running backs for a second. You know, the guy I'm interested in seeing is Kadri Allison because I feel like that this is make or break for him. Either he gets it figured out this year or the Falcons are going to have to move on from him. What have been your thoughts about seeing him? I know some of the running backs haven't gotten in the mix as much, but what have you seen out of Allison? Thoughts about what he's done so far? Yeah, they are. They, you know, they are starting to incorporate the running backs, you know, a lot more. They've been doing a lot of run game installs here uh, recently. It looks like today they were doing a lot of like zone read option kind of stuff with their mobile quarterbacks. Uh, so it's good to see them kind of, you know, integrate these guys. I agree with you. With Allison, it's so weird because, you know, if you look at his numbers, he's actually like been pretty productive in his career. He just hasn't like obviously gotten the amount of carries to kind of really show what he has. He, he, but he's also at the same time, he's kind of a there's something awkward about him. Like he's obviously like a big, powerful guy, but I'm not for the fact that he like runs a little upright or something, but he's just kind of has like a unique running style to me. And that's always got what's kind of been intriguing to me about him. When you combine that with uh, again the, the, the production, the yards per carry that I talked about. Um, but you know, I, it's, it's a tough one for him and not just because of the guys that I already named. Obviously the, the, the Falcons are going to have to figure out how many running backs they can actually carry on the 54 man roster. Uh, but you also get a guy like Caleb Huntley, who I think that he's been one of the most impressive running backs uh, from this coaching staff. He's gotten a lot of carries, and Arthur Smith has said uh, by name, he's called Caleb Huntley out by name, saying that like he has, he's getting these carries because he's deserving of them. And at this point, uh, I think we just have to really go off of what the coaches are telling us, because quite frankly, from our vantage point, we do not get a good view uh, from 
the running backs are looking at in terms of reading the blocks and making the right decisions when they're carrying the ball or, or going out um, in, in pass protection. So that's why I'm very uh, excited to see this team play in the preseason because we'll get, honestly just get a, frankly, a better angle to, to see what these guys are looking at, what these coaches are able to evaluate when they look at their uh, training camp film when they because they've got those eyes on the sky up there at Flowery Branch. So, you know, that just speaks to the competitiveness of this running back room, though. It's going to be very fascinating to see who ends up coming out of this and kind of what um, strategically the Falcons do with some of the different age profiles and styles of running uh, that they have uh, with those personnel in the back. All right, last question, Joe. I'm going to switch it up on you. I'm going to head over to Atlanta United. And look, I, oh, no. I, I'm, I, am, I am getting dangerously close to the idea of Maybe we've learned a little bit about Almada, Almada, Almada and Arujo, but I, mm-hmm. I, I just feel like we haven't learned anything about this team this year. I, I really feel like this is becoming a lost year for this team, whether it's – I understand the injury part of it, but you, know, you didn't score a goal last week even with all of your guys healthy and available, and I don't know what the rotations are, what's the starting 11. I – I just I really don't feel like we're going to have any real answers to what Atlanta United is moving forward after this season. Am I crazy or where do you think we're at? No. No, you're not crazy and that's I think what's been kind of it, it, that's one of the kind of downers of this season for them. I, I totally agree that it does feel like a lost season and let's be honest like when you lose the players they've lost to injury, I think that where they're in the table was always kind of in the the meaty part of that bell curve of what the what was going to happen to the team, uh, given that you lost Miles Robinson, Brad Guzan, even Ozzy Alonso, who's an important veteran for you. I guess speaks to the fact that they, the team won three of the five games that he was able to play in before he suffered his season-ending ACL injury. So, and I do feel like it is a bit of a lost season, uh, and for that reason, I really want to. I'm not as focused on the results game to game anymore this year as I am wanting to see certain players to see what you have going forward. And it's kind of a similar thing with the Falcons right now. The Falcons have a ton of guys on one-year contracts, and they obviously have a longer-term plan that they're trying to achieve, and this year is just kind of part of that plan. I think you've got to look at it the same way for Atlanta United at this point and say, okay, we have X amount of games left in our season now. Uh, It's very unlikely that we're going to make the playoffs based on the schedule that we have. We need to find out who we're going to bring with us beyond this year. And I think, honestly, one of those players is Joseph Martinez. I think this team has to figure out what he has left in the tank, if he's going to be able to fit in tactically what Gonzalo Pineda wants to do. And it sounds crazy, but, you know, he's, he's going to be 30 soon. Obviously, had the ACL injury. He's meant a lot to this city, but, you know, the performances just have not been there yet for him. And I think that you really want to just see what he's got. I know um, Gonzalo Pineda has been using guys Ronaldo Cisneros instead of him because of tactical reasons and things like that. The coach is going to want to do the things that are best for a team to win a game. But I think if you're Charles Bocanegra, you got to have a chat with Gonzalo and say, you know, we need to get Joseph in this lineup uh, just so we can see what we have and kind of internally scout him um, because this is going to be a big offseason for him in particular because he's got to figure out a contract situation with the team. Otherwise, he very well could be on, uh, on in, in a trade.
for, for this team or a transfer if he's leaving MLS. So I agree with you. It's kind of a lost season, but they can still use the time that they have left in this year to try to figure out what they have and kind of evaluate some of these players that are on the roster. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough times, uh, that's for sure. Hey, check him out on Twitter, at JAPatrick200. He's got all of your Atlanta Falcons training camp coverage right there. He's part of the Blue Checkmark Media Brigade now. So uh, Joe Patrick joined <laughs> us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Joe, man, as always, Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for a few minutes with me here this evening. Uh, I will see you at camp on Friday. Thanks for having me on. It sounds good. I'll look for you there. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.